Happy Father's Day to those of you that are dads. And I'm not just saying that, and thank you to the two people that appreciate dads. That's awesome. Hey, dads, I want to say something to you for just a moment. In a culture that continually attempts to diminish your role and your value, I think it's incredibly important to understand that you are made in the image of God, you represent God, and you are intensely valuable in our culture. And so, man, if you're, if you're a dad and you're doing your best to live for Jesus and impact your family and live in a way that honors God and honors your family, man, I, I'm your biggest fan. I am grateful for you. And if you're a dad that feels guilty for a lot of stuff in your past, let me just say this. We are not here to beat anybody up about their past. We're here to help you see the future God has for you and what is possible because of the grace and the mercy of God. Don't let anybody or anybody tell you that you're not valuable or you're not important. You're immensely important. This morning, as we're in this series, Chronicles of the King, talking about some of the parables that Jesus taught. Remember, a parable is a a story, a made-up story that has a universal truth. And parables usually communicate one simple truth. And it's the way that Jesus, in his teaching style, communicated so that people could understand it. This morning, I want to look at a parable that Jesus taught but we don't find this one in just one place. We're only going to look at one, but he, he actually uses a couple of different parables a couple of times to teach the same principle. And we find one in Luke chapter 11, one in Luke chapter 18. And it's interesting because Jesus takes the time with this one issue to discuss it and tell two different stories about it to teach the same principle. Now, if Jesus talks about something one time, I think it's incredibly important. If Jesus talks about something two times, two different occasions, and takes the time to tell two different stories to illustrate and drive home the same principle, then it has to be immensely valuable and something that he knows we desperately need and need to grasp and embrace. Jesus, on one occasion, is praying, something that he did often. And when he finishes praying, a disciple says to him, Hey, would, would you teach us how to do that? Now, in that context, I would like you to consider the fact that the disciples were highly religious. They'd grown up in the Jewish culture. They had been taught from an early age how to pray. They knew the scriptures. They knew the words. They knew everything. This is not someone who's never prayed and feels anxious about it. So they're saying, hey, I, I'm not sure how to do this. Can you show me? These are young men that grew up praying, know how to pray. They've heard thousands of prayers, prayed hundreds of prayers, and yet there's something about Jesus and the way he prays that they want to know more. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus, when, when you pray, there's something different. Think about the times. That Jesus prayed and God answered. They observed not only how he would pray and what he prayed, but they observed the answer of God in his prayers. And so there's something unique. And, and really what they're saying is, hey, Jesus, we don't think we're doing it right. Have you ever thought that? There's something you've prayed about or you're praying about or maybe you stop praying about because 
you, you saw no movement from heaven, nothing spiritually impacting, nothing was happening, no results, and, and what you were praying for was good. It came from a good motivation. It's something that you needed God to do and would not only benefit you, would benefit others. This is not from selfish motivation. You're praying about something that if you were God, you would do it, and yet it's not happening. And it's very easy to start to think, I I don't know that I'm doing this right. I don't know that he listens to me. Is there a way to pray where God will absolutely answer? How, How do you pray if you want your prayers answered? Is there a way to do that? And then there are occasions when we pray and what we're begging God for, what we're asking God for, not only does it not happen, the exact opposite happens. What do we do with that? And then there's the question, if God is God and God is sovereign, which he's all-knowing, all-powerful, going to ultimately have it all his way, he's ultimately in charge and in control of everything, if that's all true, then why <laughs> why bother praying? I was grabbing coffee with a friend whose wife had just been diagnosed with cancer for the fourth time. The first time... After he got over the hurt, emotion, anger, he began to pray, began to seek God. He began reading his Bible more than he ever had. She went through a process with the doctors and got some good news, and he felt like, okay, this works. He continued growing spiritually. Then the second diagnosis, and he did the same thing. Third diagnosis, he did the same thing. But on the fourth, I'll never forget, sitting there across the table while we were having coffee, he said, I don't see the point. Why would I continue to pray? It's just like a roll of the dice. God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. What's the point? And maybe you have felt like that. And maybe part of your hurt, part of your personal pain, part of your frustration is the fact that you've been told and taught about a God that is supposed to love you. And you've called out to him in desperation. You have shed tears. You have sensed urgency. You have communicated as best you know how with the God that you've been told invites you to call him father. And yet there has been no answer. And that doesn't make sense because if you were God, if I were God, we would do something. They say, Jesus, would you, would you please teach us? We don't think we're doing it right. Is there a way to pray where, where we can be certain our prayers will be answered? And one of the things that I think we're going to notice in the text is that we have an idea of prayer that may not be fully accurate. I've heard people say, and I've even said, prayer, hey, prayer, prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is not just talking to God. It involves talking to God, but it is so much more. Notice what Jesus says in response. He said to them, when you pray. Now, there's the assumption that you're going to pray. If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to pray. Have you ever thought about the fact that if Jesus, the living son of God, who had never sinned one time, if Jesus needed to pray so often, how much more do you and I need to pray? When you pray, this has to be a part of your life. It is absolutely essential that this is something that you're involved in on a regular basis or you have no hope of living the life God created you to live. You have no hope of being closely connected with the Father. This is an essential ingredient to the life of following Christ. So when you pray, say. 
Now, that word say is important. If you have your Bible, you might want to circle it. You might want to make a note because that word say is extremely important. Jesus is saying prayer is more than living day by day throughout the day with an awareness of God. You hear people say, oh, I just, I'm all the time kind of in an attitude of prayer. What does that mean? Do you pray when you're sleeping? If you're married, do you pray when you're having sex? You might pray when you have sex, thank you, Jesus, it's been a long time, but do you, do you pray? I mean, no, you, you don't live constantly in an attitude or an atmosphere of prayer. See three kids, fifth grade and younger, boom, every Sunday. But when you pray, say. He's communicating something very strategic right here. It's a little three-letter word that we can miss if we're not careful. These are not just thoughts that pop through your mind where you honor God or consider him. These are not just things that you ponder and think about. This is not just an awareness of, okay, God, you're in control and whatever. I submit my will to your... No, no, no. Say. See, God, God wants to hear your words. Now, the words need to match the context and the conduct of the heart and life. They're not just empty words, but he wants to hear your words. If all I did was love my bride, but I never said anything to my bride, would she feel loved? So it's interesting. Jesus says, when you pray, say, it's more than a thought, it's more than an attitude. Father, hallowed be your name. I wonder if we would pray more. If we saw God as the father that he is. Now that word father on Father's Day, many of you celebrate dads that are amazing. I have, a, I have an unbelievable father, amazing dad. I'm extremely grateful for him. But I also recognize today for some of you is a very painful day. Because when you hear the word father or dad, it brings up a lot of pain. It brings up some betrayal. It brings up some a life of chronic disappointment that has created some anger and some frustration. So I think it's important to understand when we read the word father in the scriptures, every single thing that you think and believe a great father would be that maybe you didn't have, that's who God is. You have the ability to connect with that kind of father. Father, hallowed be your name. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Start off in your prayer with acknowledging God. Simple way of acknowledging God, you're in control. This is not about my kingdom. This is about your kingdom. This is about who you are. I I acknowledge you are God. I am not. I want to tell you a secret. Please don't tell anybody. There are times I wish I was God. I-4, 408, there are times I would send some people to the next life very quickly. I I believe in what the Bible says about laying hands on people. I I would do that if I were God, but I am not. You know what I mean? I mean, there are times, and you've had that thought, maybe watching the news or reading the news, maybe looking at what's happening around the globe. Man, if I were God, but I believe you're extremely grateful that I'm not God. And I'm grateful that you're not God. There's one God, and it's not you and me. And it's not just a thought. It's not an idea. It's not a feeling. It is the person of God. Father, 
Hallowed be your name, respected, full of authority. There's no other name like yours. It's in a special, unique place all to its own. And it's not the name for the sake of the name. It's what the name represents. You're the God of the universe. And you've invited me in all of my brokenness on any day. And I've never lived one day yet where I was perfect all day. In my brokenness, in my sin, in everything going on in my life, you invite me to call you Father, and you invite me to approach you and communicate with you and speak words to you. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And there are three distinct phrases after this. Give us each day our daily bread. God, there's something I need from you. Do you think about what you need from God more than you tell him? Because often in life, we live with this awareness, man, I wish God would do this, man, I need God to do that. And while we're driving to the office or while we're walking through the day or in the evening when we're trying to be present with our our spouse and our kids or hanging out with our friends, there's this, our mind drifts to what we need in life. And often we think more about what we need than we talk to God about what we need. Has thinking about what you need ever fully benefited your life? Give us each day our daily bread. Give us. God, I need something. It it speaks of a physical need. Then he says, forgive us our sins. Not only, God, do I have a physical need, I have a spiritual need. And I wish, I wish Jesus would have said, forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. But he didn't. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Why? did he attach that? Why could it just be, God, forgive me, but I hope you never forgive them? Why does he attach that? It's very simple. As a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, you have the spirit of the living God living inside you. And the same spirit that forgives you will forgive others through you. Forgiveness is not natural. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things you you and I will ever have to do in life. But forgiveness is absolutely essential if you don't want to live in the prison of someone else's actions. So forgiveness is something. See, we were created to live in a perfect garden where there was never going to be sin. Naked and everybody was fit. We were created to live in that atmosphere. No mental images. We're in church. Stop it. C3 kids. We were created to live in a garden of perfection. We, we were not created. It was not in the mind of God. It was not built inside us. We are not hardwired to do this. We were not created to forgive. When sin entered the world by our choice, it became necessary to forgive. What does that mean? That means forgiveness is not something that you can initiate in and of yourself. It means forgiveness will not ever come naturally and forgiveness will not ever be easy. Forgiveness requires something supernatural happening in your life and mine, and that is the Spirit of God. And so God is just saying, hey, look, my Spirit that forgives you lives inside you and will help you to forgive others. And how dare you hold something against someone else that I love just as much as I love you and then expect me to forgive you? Please don't miss this. Because I think it is going to be astounding one day when we get to heaven. 
and we see all the prayers God wanted to answer but weren't answered because of, we, because of the fact that we hate people. I think if you could have a glimpse, if I, if I could have a glimpse of what life could be, and while you're there laying there at night, replaying and going over what happened and feeling the pain all again and thinking about, I wish I would do this. I wish I could say, while you're doing all of that, whoever you're feeling that toward is probably sleeping just fine. When you and I don't forgive, we destroy ourselves, not the people that caused that. See, somebody hurts you. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody lied to you. Somebody harmed you. Somebody abused you. They took you there. But you are the only one that keeps you there. So he says, forgive us our sins. We have not only a physical need, give us each day our daily bread, but we have the spiritual need. We need to be forgiven because you're broken, I'm broken. You sin, I sin. It's the human condition. It's who we are. And so please forgive me, but also... I want to forgive others. So it's just as big a spiritual need to be forgiven as it is for me to forgive others. It does just as much in my life when God forgives me as it does when I forgive others. It's essential. And lead us not into temptation. God, you're going to lead me. Ultimately in this life, you have a plan for my life. You have a purpose for my life. And while you and I may have dreams, we would do well not to chase our dreams. We would do well to chase our purpose because dreams come along for the ride when we chase our purpose. So as you lead me, lead me in a places, places and lead me in a way that protects me. D- don't lead me in a way where I, I get too close to something that would be so enticing that I might dive in. P- protect me, lead me. But, but when I am there, give me a way out. And, and Jesus says in another place, when we are tempted, he always provides a way out. But there's something interesting. When you pray, because you will, you have to, you need to, you, I will, I have to, I need to, say, it's not just something I think, it's something I, I speak. Use words, Father, acknowledge who I'm talking to. Hallowed, you're very special, there's nobody like you. Be your name, your kingdom. Ultimately, it's all about you, God, not about me. Give us each day our daily bread. I have some physical needs. Forgive us our sins. I have some spiritual needs, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Lead my life day by day. I will follow you and lead me in, in the best way. If you look at that, something becomes astonishingly crystal clear. The purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose it. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Prayer is not God. I'm not sure what you're thinking about this, but here's what I'd really like to see happen. I I, I really need this to happen. This is how I want it done. And have you noticed usually when we pray, Often we give that little kind of disclaimer at the wind, but your will be done, whatever, 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 okay, whatever. You know what the your will be done is? It's not an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. Your will be done is our out. So if God doesn't do what we're asking, we kind of feel okay about it, and maybe we're still okay with him because we threw that in at the end, and maybe it's just not his will. That's fine. It's what he wants to do. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to agree with me. It's to get me to agree with God. 
we spend so much time trying to be convincing and change God's mind. And then we grow more and more disturbed because it's not happening. And then we get upset with God when we entered the context of the conversation with an incorrect perspective. Then Jesus said to them, and this is where he gets into the parable. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. Now, midnight in that culture, the people that are listening to this, this parable, this story, they don't think midnight 12 a.m. because they did not have electricity. So midnight literally meant the middle of the night from when they would go to bed, when they would wake up. So this was probably about 2 a.m. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at about 2 a.m. and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. If, if you need bread, please don't knock on my door at 2 a.m. I'm from Texas. We have guns. I will shoot you. (laughs) Did you know I saw a church today? I saw a church today in Oklahoma for Father's Day. They're giving away guns. (laughs) That's not, that's not Orlando. That's not Orlando. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. You're waking somebody up at 2 a.m. for bread. Well, in that culture, One of the rudest things you could do, it's like slapping somebody in the face to not have food for them if they come as a guest to your home. So there's an urgency here. This is a very important in that culture to to respect people, honor people. This is part of how they show hospitality and to do otherwise is highly offensive. And suppose the one on the inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus continues, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity. Would that describe your prayer life? Shameless audacity, such an urgency that is driven to knock on that door all hours of the night, such a desperate need, and the audacity to approach. Shameless audacity. It won't be because your friends that will motivate him to get out of bed and give you the bread. It will be your shameless audacity because you just, you just keep knocking. You just stay there. You just won't go away all night, whatever it takes. We pray three times, and if God doesn't answer, we get mad at him and don't pray anymore. Maybe he knows in our prayer there's something he needs to develop in and through us. And the perseverance of continuing and seeking and the shameless audacity. Because you can search all of the pages of scripture. And the biblical pattern for success has always been consistency. So I say to you, Jesus continues, ask and it will be given to you. Well, it it hadn't been given to me. Are you still breathing? Are you still approaching? Are you still praying? Or have you given up on what God wanted to do in your life? It just wasn't time yet. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek. You've got to initiate this. I think there's so many things in life that we want God to do that we sit by waiting for God to show up. 
He's saying, put some urgency in your life. Seek me, chase after me, come after me. Seek and you will find. Sit down, give up, quit, be angry, throw a fit, pout, you'll never get it. That's what he's communicating. Knock, knock and the door will be open to you. And I want you to notice something right here. Don't miss this, don't miss this. Ask, seek, knock. There is to be movement. There is to be momentum. There's to be action on my part toward a loving God. Because just like in any love relationship, everybody wants to be pursued. Sir, you'd like your bride to pursue you some. Ladies, you'd love your husband to pursue you. This relationship is not just a one-way street. God is going to pour out his love and show his love on a day-by-day basis. Every single sunrise is God whispering, I love you, have a great day. God is going to show us in so many ways his love for us and through answered prayer and through relationships that come into our lives and through how he blesses at work and in friendships. God, God is going to do that, but God would love for you and me to chase him as well. Ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. But there's gotta be an asking and a seeking and a knocking. If you just ask and you stop asking and because of that you don't seek and you never knock, the door won't be opened. If you ask and you seek but you get there and for whatever reasons, maybe your worst memory, maybe where you're ashamed of yourself, maybe things from your past, you start to knock but your hand never hits the door. Who am I to ask this of God? He would probably never do this for me anyway and you walk away and you never get it. Ask, seek, knock. There's a pattern. And then he continues, which of you fathers, if your sons ask for a fish, would give him a snake instead? (laughs) a snake the one thing that satan decided i'll get inside that a snake or if he asked for an egg will you give him a scorpion see you may be sitting here today thinking man i haven't been a very good father you've never done this like feel better about yourself be encouraged you've never if you have done this we need to talk but but you've probably never done this If you then, though you are evil, you and I are evil, we're not perfect, we have sin in our lives. We're not even in the same class as God, not by a universe. If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now every parent understands how much we want and hope for our children. And we know how much we would give them If we were able, I don't mean in stuff, because sometimes we give them too much stuff. What do we give them in learning how to live a life of dignity? What do we give them in learning how to live a life of honoring God? How do we set them up to process and think for themselves? How, How do we create an atmosphere where they can grow and be successful in their relationships and in their life? Every father, every mother wants that for their kids. And if you and I and all of our brokenness want that, how much more do you think a perfect holy God that invites us to call him father wants that for us? So let me give you four very quick things. I'm just going to kind of go through these four quick things that I think are essential to remember when we think about prayer, pulled out of what Jesus taught right here. If you want to pray prayers that God answers, here are four things that are absolutely essential to remember. Number one, prayer is primarily an action, not an attitude. When you pray, say, ask, seek, knock. Prayer is an action, not an attitude. 
So walking around thinking about God, pondering what you believe, considering different opinions about different things, yeah, that's part of processing, that's part of growing, but it's not prayer. Prayer are those moments where maybe while you're driving, eyes open, eyes open, you talk to God. Prayer is what you say before you walk out of your office for that meeting. And sometimes you talk louder and sometimes you whisper and it's under your breath, but you're, you're, you're putting action to those thoughts. And you know what I've noticed? that This is going to sound odd. I admit that. This, some of you are going to be like, what? Sometimes it helps me to hear what I say to God. Sometimes it helps me to hear what I verbalized to God. If, the, if James, the brother of Jesus, told us that the tongue has power, the power of life and death, and sometimes I need to hear what I say to God. Sometimes I can give a little more life to my faith if I hear what I say to God. There's something about speaking words to God where it encourages me on a spiritual level that I, I can't fully explain. I don't understand exactly how it all works. I just know it's in here, and I found it to be very true. But prayer is primarily an action, not an attitude. Number two, the Lord's Prayer. What, what we just read through, we find a longer version in Matthew, but in Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer is what it's been called. The Lord's Prayer is a model to follow, not a script to recite. I remember when I started playing football in Texas growing up. I was in middle school. And before the games, we would pray the Lord's Prayer. And we did that all the way through middle school, all the way through high school. But you know what I noticed about that? It was a group of people in a locker room chanting words that had absolutely nothing to do with their lives. See, sometimes I think we can get caught in the religious trap of, I need to behave this way and I need to say that. And we have this uniquely superstitious kind of religious thought where, okay, if I pray this prayer and use the same words Jesus used, then maybe God's just going to do something. No, this is not a script to recite. This is not some religious chant. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is a template. It's a model to follow. What is the model? God, I acknowledge that you're God and I'm not. There's some things I need to say to you, not just think about you. God, there, there's some things that I, I, I need. First of all, I need to recognize that you're God, I'm not. Father, hallowed be your name. You're respected. You have all authority. That's not me. It's you. Give me this day, daily bread. God, there's some needs that I have physically, and I, I'm grateful that you've asked me to make you aware of those. Forgive me and help me to forgive others. Father, the spiritual needs that I have, although they are not always as felt, are much more important in my life than even the physical. So I need your forgiveness, and I need your help to be able to forgive others so that the lack of forgiveness doesn't destroy my life and ruin my influence. And God, in the way you lead me, I need to be led today. There's some meetings I'm going to have that I'm not sure about. There's some things, conversations I need to have that might be awkward and I need your help. Father, there's some truth I need to speak to my kids and I need to make sure they're full of both grace and mercy. They, they are full of salt and light. There's some truth, but I also want them to, to hear on the foundation of what I'm going to say is a rock-solid bed of love. And God, I'm going to need your help to do that. So just praying the Lord's Prayer and chanting that and then going on about your day or me going on about my day... All you've done is waste about 30 seconds of your life that you'll never get back. What does prayer boil down to? There are two ultimate things in prayer, God's agenda and my needs. Ultimately, that's it. God's agenda and my needs. Number three, God responds to relationship, not technique. If you're 
praying the Lord's Prayer and saying all of the right words and you learned at the dinner table growing up from your parents what to pray and you learned how to pray and there's just sort of a rhythm and you've gotten to the place maybe you've prayed so often in your life or heard it so much that you just roll through words and you're not even fully present and so you can get to the place where you pray and you're asking God to bless your marriage while you're having an affair. You're asking God to bless you financially while you're robbing from him as a Christ follower and not bringing the first 10% to the local church. You're asking God to give you peace in your life while your actions and your words and how you function in relationships bring turmoil to your life. See, God responds to relationship, not technique. And in any relationship, if you know what's important to me and you function in a way that acknowledges you know what's important to me, I'm more drawn to you. If you tell me you love me, but you ignore what's important to me, I don't feel loved by you. And so I think sometimes there are things that cause our prayers to not be answered and not connect with God, not because we're not technically doing it right, we don't have the technique down, but because our relationship, we're not living our lives in relationship with God in a way that honors him. He even teaches on one occasion, hey, if you, if you come and you come to church, and you want to connect with me, but there's somebody in your life that you hate, you need to leave and go make it right with them before you come back. Because what God wants for us is not a system of rituals and rules and religious must-dos and religious never-dos. It's all about a relationship. So whatever you're asking God for in prayer, whatever you need from God, are you living consistently with the request? God responds to relationship. And I'm so glad he does because in a relationship, in any healthy relationship, there are times you say no. Have you ever prayed any prayers in your past that you're so glad God didn't answer? Remember who you wanted to marry and then you saw him at the high school reunion? Remember the job you desperately wanted and then you found out the company folded? Remember the moments, listen, there are times, remember how we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom. God, you know more than I do. You can see the future, I can't. Ultimately, here's what I desperately am asking. I feel some urgency in my humanness. This is what I'm thinking and this is what I think would be best. But you see the tomorrows that I can't. And if you could, If you could convince God of anything this morning, if you could sit down and talk to God and convince him of anything, anything at all, one thing, what would it be? If you could convince God of one thing, what would it be? But if you could, do you really want a God that's so small that you can convince him? Do you really want a God that leans into what you and I want when we can't see tomorrow? Do you really want a God that ignores what's going to be best for you and best for me six months from now, six years from now? Do do you really want a God that ignores all of that and just says, okay, whatever you want, whatever you want today, however you feel, whatever you want today? See, it's a relationship. And any relationship that doesn't have trust is not a relationship. This is about trusting God. This is about bringing to God Make all your requests known to God, the scripture says. But at the end of the day, trusting him. Number three, again, God responds to relationship, not technique. Notice John 15, 7. Stay joined to me and let my teachings become part of you. Then, 
You can pray for whatever you want and your prayer will be answered. Stay joined to me. Stay connected with me. Stay in relationship with me. See, prayer Prayer is not just talking to God, and, and, and this is not speaking of prayer in the sense of, oh, it's how we connect with God. You connect with God through worship. You connect with God through attending church. You connect with God through reading your Bible. This, this, is, this is something uniquely different. This is not just connecting with God. This is communicating with God, and communicating with God requires me to voice what I'm thinking and also to shut up and listen. See, prayer isn't just me telling God stuff. Prayer is also me hearing from God. Stay joined to me. Stay connected. Be consistently connected. I wonder where you'd be. Maybe you should ask yourself, maybe I should ask myself, where would you be, where would I be? If for the last 10 years, we'd been joined. Not just to wearing a label of Christ follower, but reading my Bible a little bit each day and Connecting my life and how I live and how I make decisions and my attitudes and my response to things that I don't like. Connecting that to what God says in his word. And letting that become a part of me. How would you be different? If I had an opportunity, 52 weeks a year, 45 weeks a year to pop in and for an hour, 60 minutes out of the week, 60 minutes that makes the other 10,020 minutes of our week so much better. If I had an opportunity, let's say not 52 weeks a year, 45 weeks a year. If I had an opportunity to come and in a sense, this spiritual life coaching from scripture, how would it make me better if I built that into my life? He says, when you stay joined to me, if I spent just a few minutes each day, not hours, a few minutes each day, reading the word of God and allowing God's teachings to get inside my life and beginning to allow them to change me, stay joined to me and let my teachings become part of you. And if you're absent on Sunday, and you're absent in your own life day to day with the word of God. This doesn't happen. See, it's about relationship. It's not about, oh, I got to go. It's about relationship. You're building into a relationship. Stay joined to me and let my teachings become part of you. Then, there's a guarantee here. Then, you can pray for whatever you want. You can pray whatever you want. And your prayers will be answered. Because through the process of his teaching becoming a part of me, I'm better able to discern what his will for my life is. It also makes me kinder, makes me sweeter. It helps me to forgive much more quickly. It changes me into a person I cannot be in and of myself because the spirit of God inside me is changing me. So then I am much more likely to pray prayers in line with the will of God. And then the final thing, not yet doesn't mean no. Not yet doesn't mean no. You've been praying for something and it hasn't happened and you're assuming God has just said no. Not necessarily. But I've done everything I know in my own life. I'm spending time in the Bible every single day. I'm spending time reading the word. I I, I pop on the YouVersion app a few minutes a day. I do the daily devotions. I'm trying to do everything I can. I've changed some things in my life with God's help and I'm so much better. I don't understand why he hasn't said yes. Maybe. Maybe you're ready. But whatever the other part of the equation is, is not. Don't assume in the silence that God is absent. There were 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years of absolute silence where nobody heard from God, and yet what he was doing is preparing earth for the arrival of the Christ child, the living son of God. In that silence, he wasn't doing nothing. He was getting everything ready. 
Not yet doesn't mean no. So build your case when you pray. It's another reason that reading the scriptures a little bit each day is so important. Your prayer, listen, you're you're not some second class no name that's approaching a king and has no right to even ask for what you're asking. No, 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 no. You are a child of the living king. And how would your prayer life change if you approach God rather than a second-class no-name who's probably not going to get his prayer answered anyway? What if you approach the living God almost as an attorney building a case? Father, I read right here where you said this, and I read over here where you said this, and I read over here where you said this, and I see your promises in your word. And God, I need you to move that way in my life. I need you to do that in my relationships. I need you to do that. God, I, I see here how you talk about forgiveness and how we need your help doing it. And I I see the patterns of people forgiving God. I need you to do that. Build your case. And there's not an attorney that argues before a jury and a judge without passion. So when the Bible talks about praying in earnest, that's what it means. But if you don't begin to know this little bit by little bit, if you don't spend a little bit of time in this book each and every day, you don't know how to build your case. Because it's a relationship. When I pray, I I tell God what I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, and there are moments he speaks to me. And that's part of prayer. But the greatest way he speaks to me is this. And if Angie and I have the kind of relationship where all I ever do is talk to her, but I don't listen when she talks to me, we don't have much of a relationship. Saying what I need to say to God is how I talk to him. This is how I hear from him. When you put those together and you embrace these four principles, when you pray, God will answer. God will answer. But trusting him to answer is also trusting his time of when he answers. There are times that the Bible says, so-and-so prayed and, and suddenly God answered. It doesn't mean that you pray and the answer's right then. It just means when it comes, it will be sudden. So what can you change this week about how you pray? What can I change this week about how I pray? And what will you look back on five years from now that God has answered because you made a decision in a moment to change how you pray? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your mercy. God, we recognize that you alone are God, and ultimately what we need the most is is you is to hear from you. And Father, we recognize that in this room there are a lot of physical needs represented. There are people who have needs that are financial. There are people who have needs that are relational. There are needs that are vocational. God, we all have needs. But Father, we also recognize we have spiritual needs. I pray that you would do in each of us exactly what we need to draw us closer to you. To help us walk more in relationship with you. Father, I pray that you'd help, especially those of us that grew in church, to to learn day by day how to strip off the rituals and the techniques that are ultimately meaningless. And to build this day by day love relationship with you. Father, I, I pray that we would pray more. That we would speak to you that we would be consistent with heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you have a spiritual need. In fact, the greatest need of your life is to know God in a personal way. If that's where you are this morning, I'd love to lead you in a very simple prayer. 
if you'd like to commit your life to Christ. Because once you do that, that's when you have the Spirit of God living inside you. You do not have the Spirit of God living inside you until you do that. So if you'd like to commit your life to Christ this morning, you just pray, Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life, forgive my sin, and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.